Hey everyone, Becky from The Shift Team here, and we're back with a brand new series to celebrate the symposium launch, a virtual gymnastics educational event hosted by Shift, June 10th to June 12th. Introducing the Shift Symposium guest speakers. This week's mini podcast episode is another of the 2022 Shift Symposium's guest speakers, Duesh, one of Dave's good friends and co-workers from Champion Physical Therapy and Performance. Duesh is Head of Strength and Conditioning and Director of Fitness. He will be presenting on day three of the symposium, discussing everything you need to know about plyometrics. I guess the biggest thing that I hear the most is people don't understand why it's so beneficial. So let's start from, I guess, a general point of view, but then specific to gymnastics and the athletes that we've worked with. What are the performance benefits that you think people are going to find if they do sprinkle in a little bit of like off-season weight training or preseason training? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the here's kind of how I look at it. I'm going to take a slight step back. Is I like to go from general to specific, right? So specific would be what's the sport that we're working with? What are the specific demands of that sport? So we know in gymnastics, um, you know, the demands are a little bit different for males and females. We know it's a little bit different for rhythmic versus artistic, um, but what we do to start is we take a step back and say, all right, what are some of the qualities or, you know, patterns or styles of movement that this athlete is completely lacking in? Mm. Um, so we know that in gymnastics, they don't get a whole lot of true single leg work or strength in. Um, we know they don't get, um, you know, horizontal pulling, um, you know, in a rowing fashion or anything like that. So we essentially take a step back, step back and say, all right, how do I make this athlete a little bit more well-rounded? How do I make this athlete a little bit more balanced? Um, and that's typically where I start. And then from there, what we do is, all right, we spend, you know, a few weeks or a few months on this like general phase to just build an overall really good athlete. And then once they have really good competency there, we can start, you know, trending towards or progressing towards, all right, what are my specific demands as far as force and power goes for this athlete or for the sport? And then let's start reverse engineering that and start building it from scratch. So, you know, we start with just baseline movement competency we move over to a little bit of force development for lower body if we're talking about you know female um uh, rhythmic gymnast or artistic gymnast um, and then we might transition them to a little bit more power output stuff where they can actually start showcasing some of the work that they put in to you know build a little bit of muscle build a little bit of force it was like there is value in all sporting athletes, but especially gymnasts having a little bit of that general dose, right. Of training, especially after their biggest competition and a slight, you know, off season coming back, they want to start a base of general training first in the same way that we would do general kind of like skill work and general preparation work in the gym. We don't want to dive back into that super specific stuff. And can you maybe elaborate on the benefits of doing that? Because I think some people don't make the dot connection between like, why should a general athlete, you know, if, I, if I'm a specialist, I should hyper-focus and only do this one thing over and over and over with my sport year round to get better at it. What are the benefits of the general side of it in relation to gymnastics? Yeah. So one of the best ways that I can really sum it up is, and this is when it comes to athletics, our, our human body's all pretty similar, right? Um, so whether we're talking about a gymnast or a different sport is we always got to keep in mind that it's going to be a human first, right? A human is a human is a human. Mm. And then from there, it's, an athlete, right? A general athlete that can run, jump, throw, you know, squat, hinge, push, pull, rotate, like all those things are just natural abilities that the human body has. So if if we're missing on any of those categories, that means our general athleticism is lacking. 
right? Mm-hmm. That means our potential for specific athleticism is probably going to be a little bit lower. So mm-hmm. essentially, building that general base does two things for us. It builds, it gives us a, a bigger ceiling to reach as far as high level athleticism goes for that particular sport because we have a general base. And then two, being a little bit more well-rounded, having a little bit more movement variability throughout the year, um, it, it does help with injury risk re- uh, reduction. Yep. Because yep. the more robust a human body is, the more resilient we are. Mm. Compliments. Absolutely. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on your, your approach to when a gymnast comes to you and says, like, I want to do this, but my coach is nervous about like missing time or, you know, they don't want me to not be doing my other gymnastics training and stuff like that. What are your thoughts on that piece first? Yeah, I think first and foremost is we're, we're not ever really trying to take away the gymnastics end of things right now. Can we communicate with them and say, Hey, maybe if you, you know, if you want to start strength training, is there a way to maybe pull back on volume a little bit from the gymnastics gym that day, just so we monitor fatigue a little bit. But the conversation that we're having is not, Hey, you need less gymnastics and more strength training right right off the bat because that can come off as something that they don't really want to hear. They might not be receptive to right away. But if we can frame it as this is supplementary to what you're doing, right, and here's some of the movements that you're not getting in gymnastics, but we know that these are the same movements that actually do benefit you in the long run, I think that's where people start having a little bit more buy-in, right? So the conversations that I'm having is, listen, we're still going to do bodyweight stuff. We're still going to do stuff that is going to help you understand shapes and positions in gymnastics a little bit better. We're just going to do it in a slightly different environment, and we might do it with some loading and external loading that you're not going to get in your sport. So we're just changing the variables to what you're already doing. We're not you know, reinventing the wheel or anything. We're still working on movements that appear within the sport, just done in a different environment. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is where like the expertise of you know, exercise selection, understanding um, the volume of work that you're doing in a gym, um, that's kind of where this comes in. So we know that spending a lot of time with you know, moderate to heavy weights in like the 8, 10, 12 rep range, which for whatever reason is like the magic number for everyone, that's actually some of the stuff that tends to make you a little bit more sore. Mm. Right? Doing sets of 12, sets of 15, like it's going to make you muscularly sore and it's actually going to keep your fatigue kind of high. Because when you think about it, right, and, and I'll spend only a little bit of time on this because I want to belabor this, but um, the way that we kind of calculate workload in a gym, right, in simple terms is we look at it in terms of tonnage. So we look at sets times reps times the number of weight that we're using um, on any specific exercise. So if you look at total tonnage on an exercise, if you're doing three sets of 10, right, let's say we're doing a 100-pound squat, um, three sets of 10 gives you 30 reps times 100. Like, think about the tonnage on that. Mm. If we want to start an athlete and get them to buy in to have just as much benefit out of strength training, maybe we start them with, like, three sets of six. Now we just knock down the tonnage by, you know, 40%. Mm. Now they're going to be a little bit less sore, mm. right? So it's not that we change completely how we do everything or that we, we have all these different sets of exercises that we're keeping hidden from everyone for, for people that we don't want to make sore. It's right. still the same stuff. We're just kind of manipulating some of these variables um, to make sure that athletes are a little bit more fresh. They can recover from these sessions and that it's not um, hindering some of their performance in the gym. Now, with that said, if we get someone that's brand, brand new to strength training and they've never done external loading, I think it is important to have a little bit of communication to say, hey, you might be a little bit sore, right? But this isn't anything that should be crippling. Like when you leave this workout, you should not be completely smashed. And when you wake up tomorrow morning, you got to go to gymnastics. You shouldn't be completely smashed where you're like having trouble putting your socks on, you know, because like I I think we've all had those training sessions, like when we're not athletes that are just like crippling. 
Yeah. Like that's not what we're trying to attain with our athletes, right? We, we got to be able to say like, you might be a little bit sore, but as you warm up, like you should feel totally normal, mm. you know? And then there shouldn't be any like lingering effects of fatigue. Um, if there is, that means that we're not doing a great job of programming and giving you the right amount of work in the strength training. Gym. About what yeah. age do you think gymnasts could start lifting, um, safely? And then what age do you think they could start like actually loading a real program? Uh, I'd be curious about your thoughts that, and then I can talk about the stunting growth and the growth plates and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I guess question for you, Dave, what age do gymnasts start gymnastics? Oh God, three for most people. <laughs> okay. So theoretically, <laughs> an athlete should be able to do strength training at age three. Right. And I think that's, again, the misconception we think of strength training as this, you know, crazy environment with a bunch of dumbbells, barbells, you know, plates and like all that stuff. But like if an athlete is starting to do, you know, tumbling and, you know, some form of like assisted chin ups and stuff like that, like, is it bad to do a bodyweight split squat and teach that mm-hmm. to them? Right. You know? So no, I, I think that age question tends to be something that people get a little hung up on. And I don't think that there's any reason why athletes can't start early on. Now, with that said, most athletes tend to be a little bit more successful after the age of 10. And the only reason for that is attention span, (laughs) their their desire to want to be there, Um, their desire to not be in an environment where they're not having like their sport fun or hanging out with their friends and stuff like that. So it's just tough to pull an athlete away from like a gym culture environment where they're hanging out with their friends, doing stuff together and like, you know, all those things. But from like a physiological standpoint, there's no reason that an athlete can't start as early as they're starting their sport. Yep. Yep. Now that second part of that question, starting to introduce loading. Um, I think that one, you can also start earlier than most people think. Um, the loading is just going to look different, right? The external loading on a body has to be completely managed by the athlete, meaning that their, their positions, their shapes, their form can't be breaking down as they're loading the athlete. But if they're able to handle that, you know, there's, there's nothing inherently bad about introducing external loading. Now with that said, right, again, going back to the reasons why we choose to start at a certain time when it comes to attention span, when it comes to like their desire or like their understanding to understanding where their body is in space, how to manipulate an external object along with their body. Athletes tend to be a little bit more successful age 12, 13. It's it's funny to me that we think about this, which is like people are upset if an eight-year-old does a goblet squat, but then again, they'll let that athlete do a layout on floor, which we know is 12 plus times their body weight and forces. So it's Mm like, we're kind of already loading pretty heavy. And it's like that the, you have to view weight training as a fractional way to dose that force, right? So a goblet squat is maybe, I don't even know, one thirtieth of the force of a, um, of a, a layout on floor when those kids are working on it. Right. And then you have, you may, you goblet squat a little bit more, a little bit more, a little more, maybe you're one twenty fifth now and you're building up tolerance to some of those things. And so I think, yes, it's people start younger than they think. It's all about the quality of motion and stuff like that. But always people are like, what about growth plates? What about that? And when you have proper dosage, proper movement patterns and proper coaching and progression in a safe way, and you're doing intelligent programming, it's actually the opposite that the force loading is helpful to promote bone growth and to promote muscle tendon strength and to promote like really good development because our bodies respond to load and get stronger. That's essentially what happens in, in most of these overuse injuries are an inappropriate dosage of sport load. That's so high that their growth plates get cranky, right? Think about Severs disease and Osgood slaughters, right? Like that is the definition of 
too much force, too much workload on a young sensitive growth plate, weight training and strength training is a way to help slowly build up that tolerance over time so they can further increase their sport participation down the road. So, so in that early phase when athletes were just starting to goblet squat, learning how to move in that pattern, um, you know, they might have been doing, let's say, like um, a seated vertical jump where they're starting seated on a box. They don't have a ton of momentum. They're just kind of propelling themselves off the ground with their legs. And they're starting to showcase a little bit of like the force component of jumping. Now we take that same athlete and we're getting closer to the um, competition season. We're looking at like July, August. Um, what we might do is we might have them do like a depth drop to a landing where they're starting on top of the box. Now they're hopping off the box, having to eccentrically control that loading and then also concentrically bounce up out of that position into another jump, right? So land right up to a jump and make that as quick off the ground as possible while still getting up off the ground as high as possible. So demonstrating like true power. Yep. Right? And it's just we're, we're training in that spectrum of force, which is what we started with, and we're going more towards velocity, which is the other end of this continuum. And again, yep. the next follow-up question I can hear people already wanting to ask is, sounds cool, you have a giant facility, tons of ultimate you know, weights, dumbbells, plates, barbells to work with, lots of space. I don't have that. I'm coming off of a pandemic, and I have to invest very uh, intelligently about what equipment to buy and how to do it. So. And in order of, you know, say you have, you know, 500 to 750 bucks to, to put in a budget here to try to get a lot of athletes a, a benefit, what equipment would you start with about like priority number one? And what's the list of things you would try to invest in as you get more? Yeah. So I would say the, the first thing that I would invest in is a set of dumbbells that are, you know, somewhat of a range. Um, if you have younger athletes that you're working with, right, maybe get sets of five through 25. If you're working with athletes that are a little bit older, maybe start with, 10 to 40 mm -hmm. right the second item on my list would definitely be a set of resistance bands of different resistance um, and different lengths so i would say get a set of longer loop bands that you can tie up and um, you know put it on like a rig or some sort of an attachment to do some upper body pulling and pushing stuff yep. um, and also get some um, those mini bands that you can put around your knees and you know do some like specific hip care work and stuff like that um, and that's honestly really it. I don't think you need much more than that. Um, right? Other coaches are have. saying, no, that's going to make them bulky. Uh, they're going to lose their flexibility. Like this is a waste of time. So how do, let's, let's start with the bulk one first. Uh, what is the argument against and the science against maybe why lifting weights wouldn't automatically just make someone very, very bulky? Yeah. I would first like to start off and tell everyone that I've been trying to get bulky for, for years. <laughs> it, it's really hard. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot, <laughs> takes a lot of effort. Um, so I think one thing to keep in mind is to, to get an adaptation that makes you like truly bulky and like start to lose mobility, flexibility because of that bulk takes an enormous amount of stress on your body, right? Mm -hmm. Like heavy, heavy strength training done very frequently throughout a week and then over the course of years, right? Mm -hmm. So I think starting your, your young athlete on learning how to do goblet squats and weighted pushups and rows and stuff like that is not going to be enough stimulus in the body to make someone really, really bulky. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing that we got to keep in mind is we're not coming into a session and saying, all right, my, my goal is bulk. I'm going to do a deadlift. I'm going to follow up with a squat. I'm going to follow that up with a set of lunges. And then I'm going to finish up with a little bit more isolated quad and hip stuff. Right. If we tack on all those things into one session, now we have this enormous amount of stress on that one muscle group. And now that's really forced to adapt, grow, be a little bit bigger. So that next time you introduce that same set of movements, our body's a little bit better adapted, right? In the end, our body just does whatever it can to protect itself and to be ready for a certain scenario. So as long as we're, we're making sure that our sessions are a little bit more well-balanced, 
chances are you're not going to put enough stress to cause an enormous amount of bulk. Hopefully you enjoyed this mini podcast episode. Don't forget early bird tickets are now available till April, so you need to act fast if you want to save $50 to $100 on tickets. Tickets and full information can be found online at www.shiftmovementscience.com forward slash 2022 shift symposium. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to that episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it and got a lot of value out of it. I just want to let you know before we sign off here that a couple things we'd love for you to do. So one is please just make sure that you rate and review the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you're listening, because that really does help the episode grow quite a bit. And then second, if you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you left us a review as well and told us what you liked about it. You know, what information was useful, what things were not useful, would you like to know more about, what guests do you want to have on in the future? And then also as you kind of go about your day, if you found something really useful, just toss it up on social media. We love to hear from people on Instagram or Twitter or, you know, all the different websites that they're using for social media. Facebook is great too. But yeah, let us know what you like, because honestly, the podcast comes from people who just tell us what they're finding useful. And that's how we create the next set of content. So yeah, tag us in the podcast or tag us online, whatever you're doing it. And uh, let us know what you think. Thanks.